Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the blessing and gift of this day to come and worship you. Lord, thank you that we are in this season of waiting. Lord God, and we pray that you would help us to wait on you. Give us hearts that are patient, Lord. Give us a desire, Lord, and a yearning for you. And Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us today, that you would give us open hearts, Lord, to hear you and to receive you, that you would drive out the shadows, Lord, and that you would fill us with your life and your peace. And Lord God, give me your words to proclaim to your people, Lord God, that we would all have a profound encounter with you today. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us now. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's awesome to see you all today. Well, today we'll be talking about humiliation. So does anyone have any stories they want to share? Any material you can help me out with? Right, you know, I've had no takers at all three services. I'm really stunned that no one wants to share humiliating stories. And why is that? Because they're humiliating, right? We want to forget them ourselves. We don't want other people to know them. They're humiliating. Right, and humiliation is one of those things that just cuts deep inside of us. And kids, I wish I could tell you that um, those things I did as a kid, like I forgot those things. Uh, I haven't, unfortunately, right? I still have those things in my mind. In fact, one of them, I was in a play in like second or third grade, third grade. And I was Uncle Albert in the Mary Poppins play. You know, in the real Mary Poppins movie, he like floats up in the sky. He's like floating around and laughing, right? That would have been cool. My role was like acting like a fool and then going around the stage. But one part in particular, we were supposed to like hop across the tops of chairs, which I'm pretty sure is illegal in school these days, right? Like wrap you in bubble wrap before you even did that. But as I was doing that, I'm like singing and hopping over the chairs. Sure enough, I stepped wrong on one of the chairs. And what happened? I fell spectacularly, right? Like backflip spectacular. Right there in front of a whole auditorium full of my peers, parents, teachers. And I popped up, unwounded, physically, but on the inside... That was rough, right? All those eyes looking at me and my feeling of failure, right? That was horrible, that feeling. I still remember it these days. I can still see those eyes, right? And then trying to play it off like I meant to do it, (laughs) right? Like, oh, yeah, I meant to do that, Uh, even though it's totally, uh, I could never reproduce such a thing, right? And that's an easy example, right? That's an easy example of humiliation because... Does that really hurt? I mean, I just made a mistake. I just stepped wrong. Is that that big a deal in the grand scheme of things? No, it's tiny, right? And most people just laugh about it. And I laughed about it, you know, ultimately now when I'm done crying. Um, But in life, we have other things. Other things that are not just stepping wrong on a chair. Right? Things that are not just tripping in front of people at a baseball game or whatever it happens to be, or saying something you didn't mean to say. We have other things in our life that haunt us. The humiliation, if those things were to come to light, what would people think? How would they view us? What would their opinion of us be? What would life look like after that if those things were to come out? That's the humiliation that's really deep. 
That's the humiliation that really can cut us and fills us with terror. Those other things, we eventually get over them. But those deep ones, that's more scary than a physical injury, isn't it? Because an injury you most often recover from. But those things, those wounds in the soul, those can fester for a long, long time. And so David, in our psalm for today, calls out to God and says, let me not be humiliated. And can we echo that? Anyone feel like that's a good thing to say? Yeah, I prefer that. Let me not be humiliated. This psalm, Psalm 25, is uh, 22 verses. We only have nine of the verses in our reading for today. Um, But it is an acrostic. Anyone know what an acrostic is? Yes, and what is an acrostic? That's right, it's a poem in which each line is a successive letter in the alphabet. So if you're writing like a love poem, you would say, A, always will I love you. B, beautiful are your eyes. C, calamari does not. You know, right, you get the idea, right? You go through and everyone. This is not a pure acrostic because David takes some license with the that genre. He kind of moves some letters around in the alphabet and and fudges a little bit, but we'll give him some grace on that, right? It's also a lament. A lament means that um, David is lamenting the condition of the world, that life is not as it should be with God on the throne. Things just are not going the way they should go. And this, unlike many of the other laments, does not end with confidence, does not end with a statement that everything is going to be all right in the end. It ends with a request, a request. So here we are, the first Sunday of Advent, right? And Advent is a season in which we look toward, we watch, and we await the coming or the arrival of Jesus Christ in two ways. The first way being his incarnation, when he was born by the power of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. The second that we await is his promised second coming, when he shall return to judge the world and create the new heavens and the new earth, and we who are in Christ shall dwell with him forever. That's what Advent is. It's a waiting time, a time when we are waiting and looking forward to Jesus Christ. In our psalm for today, King David looks to the Lord. He is looking forward to him, and he's crying out, exactly, thank you for the point. He's crying out and saying, God, come and help me. Things are not as they should be. The psalm is a lament that he was in an uncertain place, both with his own actions and the actions of others. In the beginning of our psalm, he expresses his two primary fears. The first fear that he expresses was humiliation. And this humiliation was not that David was afraid of being embarrassed for doing something foolish, although he certainly had plenty of things to be embarrassed for in that way. Um, he was, it wasn't just like he was afraid of standing in front of a crowd with a zipper down or having a strip of toilet paper stuck to his heel when he left the restroom. Right? It wasn't that. It wasn't on that level. Instead, he was afraid that his faith in the Lord would prove to have been in vain. That David would have lived his life in confidence only to find that the object of his confidence was not there. He would have lived his life chasing a lie. He was afraid of that. It cost him fear. 
The second fear that David faced was being beaten by his enemies. The enemies that David faced were manifold. They were enemies outside of his country, pushing on his borders. There were enemies in his own country, contending for power. And there were enemies in his own family who would try to take the throne from him. In the face of fear, of humiliation, and enemies, David did all that he could do. He cried out to God. He says in verse 1, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. My God, I put my trust in you. Now, to lift up your soul means to direct your desire to God. David was directing his desire to the Lord. In the face of his fears, he was trusting in God. He trusted in God to show me your ways and to lead me in your truth and teach me. David did not expect that he was going to do it all right. That he, on his own as a human, was going to pull up his bootstraps and do it. It wasn't through a plan of right eating, proper sleep, and fitness. He was going to get himself into the right person and make everything right in his world. Instead, he trusted in God, that God was going to intervene and save him. He knew he was a sinner who needed redeeming, and he knew he needed God to not only help him, but to transform him. He says, for you are the God of my salvation. In you have I trusted all the day long. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and love, for they are from everlasting. Remember not the sins of my youth and my transgressions. Remember me according to your love and for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. David knew it was not by virtue of his own righteousness that he was justified before God, but purely on the grace of the Lord and the forgiveness of God. Of sins. Now, he didn't yet have a complete view of how it was all going to take place in Jesus Christ, because Jesus had not been yet born in the flesh, but he looked forward to it. He knew that God was going to indeed come and save him, and all who would put their hope in him as well. In spite of this, David knew that his enemies were great, and that his own faith was wavering. He feared humiliation and being conquered by his enemies. And so at the last verse of this psalm, which we don't have in our reading for today, but which I'll tell you, he says, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. David knew that redemption needed to come from outside, and so he looked forward to the advent, or the coming, of the Lord. I just read a quote this morning, and I wish I could remember who said it to attribute it to that person. But they said that Advent is a season that is like a room that we find ourselves in, which has a door which can only be opened from the outside. The door could only be opened from the outside. And that was where David found himself as well, in that room, unable to escape unless the door was opened by God. We have seen the Lord do this. He came at Christmas, opened the door, and came into that room and dwelt with us, and then showed us the way out through his death and sacrifice, provided the pathway for us to come to the Father. And we wait. We wait during the season of Advent, and indeed our whole life, we are waiting for the fulfillment of this great 
plan of salvation. We are waiting for our Savior, Jesus Christ, to come back. But this time of waiting is not an easy time. For things are not right in our world. We are surrounded by enemies. We are surrounded by injustice and violence, by death and destruction, by hatred of others, by sloth and indulgence, and our own hearts waver as we wait. Have we put our trust in something that is false? Will we be humiliated? Will our enemies have victory over us? Well, I have good news and bad news for you. I'll give you the good news first. Right? The good news is we will not be humiliated because our faith is not in vain because our Savior has risen from the grave. It is finished. The tomb is empty and our Lord Jesus Christ is alive. Now the bad news. We will be humiliated. Right? That is the Christian life. The Christian life is looking humiliation in the face and turning it over to God. And God doesn't do like our former bestie would do and post it all over Facebook. Right? God doesn't do that. When he looks at our sin, when he sees our humiliation, he does not rub our nose in it. Instead, he takes it takes it on himself. He bears our shame. He takes the humiliation which you and I have rightfully earned by the things we've done and said and thought. He takes that shame on himself and in exchange gives us his grace and his righteousness like a cloak about our shoulders. He protects us and fills us and redeems us. This redemption means that on the final day when all shall be laid bare and our Savior will return to judge the world, you and I will not stand in shame, but in grace, looking forward to his advent, his return. We know that when he returns, it is not for us to be condemned and destroyed, but for us to be brought into glory. This Advent, we wait. And we wait in a world which is messed up. And we wait with hearts that are conflicted. We wait knowing that we are part of the problem for why this world is such a wreck. And yet we wait with hope, knowing that we have a Savior who will return, who is coming back to set us free, and that when he returns... We shall be raised to new life with him. This period of Advent, though, is not a time to put off what can be done today. Advent is the time to be prepared. And so if you find yourself today not feeling reconciled to Jesus Christ, not having turned over your life to him and your heart to him, take this chance now. Don't wait any longer. Confess your sin to him. Lay bare your heart before your Savior who knows everything you've ever done, ever thought, and ever said. Confess those to him and receive his forgiveness 
and find that your humiliation is taken from you, grace, mercy, and peace are given in exchange. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you do what no one else could do for us, Lord, and what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, you take our shame upon yourself. You cover us with your righteousness. And Lord God, you make us perfect in you. Help us, Lord God, to cast our sins upon you, Lord, to cast our burdens upon you. We turn them over to you now, Lord. It's so easy for us to hold on to those objects of shame in our life and to keep them ferreted away, Lord, and hidden, yet held on to. Lord, in this season of Advent, in this very moment, Lord, free us of those things. May we turn them over to you now, and may we be forgiven and set free from the bondage that lies in sin, Lord. And we pray that as we are set free, Lord, we would be people, we would become liberators as well. People who go out sharing your good news of salvation with the world, that they might be freed from their bondage as well. Lord, in your grace and in your mercy, help us to share the hope that we have received, and may we continually dwell in this hope. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.